The scripture reading this morning is Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22, and can be found on page 1917 of the Blue Bibles. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Stand at the door and knock. Did you catch that? Where is Jesus? He's standing outside of the church. Do you hear the judgment in that statement? Jesus, who's supposed to be the center of the church, is outside of the church. Something has gone terribly, terribly wrong in Laodicea. Jesus, who is the head of the church, has been put out of the church. Jesus has been shut out of his own church. Let that sink in for a moment. These seven letters, and this is the culminating letter, these seven letters to the churches are are Jesus writing to the churches, to, to his church, to his people. And this last church, he's saying to them very boldly and directly, you have shut me out. And Jesus is standing at the door, knocking. Listen to the harshness and directness of these words. Jesus' words here are akin to him looking at Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan. They are that direct and that blunt. I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. And I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
ouch. I mean, we can read over it and, and blow right past it, but ouch. These are some of the harshest direct words that Jesus speaks in all of Scripture. He names this church as being so sinful, so distant from God, so separated from him that they, they have no place for him, no room for him in their life. And if the church has no room for Jesus, it is dead. In many ways, this text feels like a, a funeral text and not a very polite eulogy. It's much more akin to an autopsy that's happening where Jesus is taking a hard look at this church and saying, here's why you have died. Lukewarm deeds. Doesn't sound very dangerous, does it? Doesn't sound that threatening. It doesn't sound like a, a virus that's going to destroy us or somehow compromise our system, but, but lukewarm deeds, it destroys us. It attacks our faith. It makes our faith, it renders it impotent. Hierapolis, not a city mentioned in this text, but it was a city just a few miles away from Laodicea, and it was up on the edge of a kind of an escarpment, similar to what we have here. And, and on that escarpment, there was all sorts of hot springs and Heriopolis was known for being a, a city where people went to when they were sick because it was said that those hot springs had medicinal purposes to them. They had a medicinal value. You could go to Heriopolis to be healed. And if you were standing in Laodicea and looking towards Heriopolis, there was such beauty there because these hot springs ran over the edge of the escarpment and, and they had so many minerals in them that, that it started calcifying things on, on top of the escarpment there. And, and as that happened, the sun would come across it and it would light up with all these colors. Think Niagara Falls type thing. Maybe not that much water going over the edge, but but you see the colors and you see the beauty of it and you stand in awe. And people from all over Asia Minor would go there for the beauty and for the healing. Colossae was to the south. It was a different city. Uh, it had in that area the only place, the only water source that was pure cold water, drinking water, not filled with all the minerals that the other uh, streams had in that area. It was rather unique because of this pure cold water. And it was seen as kind of a trades town. It was a, a, a town and a port and there was lots of trade and activity there. But it really developed as a city because it had that cold water. That cold drinkable water that people needed to live. And it wasn't filled with all the other stuff that, that at times it was unsafe to drink or unpleasant to drink. Jesus is saying to Laodicea, you have no medicinal benefit. Your deeds amount to nothing. They are lukewarm. They don't provide any healing or hope or benefit to the world. And your deeds are lukewarm in that they don't even meet the basic needs of the world around you. You are neither Heriopolis or Colossae. 
In fact, what we know of Laodicea is that it was a very aristocratic city. It was extremely wealthy. It was kind of, in some sense, planted as the wealthy suburb in between these two other cities. It's where the rich people went. And if we read that text carefully, we hear John putting words in the mouth of the church of Laodicea, and they're saying, I am rich, have acquired wealth, and I do not need anything. I've got everything I need. I don't need Jesus anymore. I'm not sick like those folks, those pitiful folks who have to go up to Heriopolis to get healed. And I'm not so poor that I have to work in the trades and the ports down in Colossae. In fact, I've got everything I need to make my life comfortable. I don't even need God. One of the remarkable things about studying Laodicea and what little we know of it, we don't really have any temples from there. Isn't that striking? We have lots of temples and dedicated temples and emperor worship and all sorts of stuff in all these other cities. And, and as they've studied Laodicea, there's not a whole lot there. Not anywhere close to what's in the other cities. We have everything we need. We don't even need God. It's a temptation in our North American culture most of us are sitting in pretty wealthy spaces. Most of us, I mean, the fact that we can worship in a building like this says that we have some wealth and access and resources as a community, that, that we have, have a similar type situation. We may not be Wall Street or Bay Street, but we have resources. And the temptation that Laodicea was facing that we would begin to trust in the gifts of God more than in God himself and that we would desire the benefits and the comforts of God more than desiring God is a temptation we face as well. In the 1970s, a, a guy named Wilbur Reese wrote this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Ouch. Our temptation, our cultural temptation, because of the access to resources we have, is to keep God at an arm's distance. To only let God in so far. To, to say, God will only get this much of my life and the rest of it is mine to do with as I please. To show up for an hour and a half on Sunday to get a spiritual fix and live the rest of the hours of the week however we want. We are in a situation where a gospel and a God who calls us to lay down our lives and to give everything is calling us out for holding back and only wanting a little bit of God. It's not a new, it's not a new sin, really. It's not a new temptation. 
Jesus gave this warning to the people of Israel way, way back as, as they were heading out of the Exodus and they, out of Egypt and they were in that wilderness and, and just about to head into that promised land. And, and he says it this way, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God's gifts and resources are incredible. They're good but they also come with a, a backside to them that we in our sinfulness can corrupt them and twist them into being kind of an, a God amnesia inducing drug. That we get so wrapped up in making sure we live a comfortable life and we have all our needs met and, and really that becomes the only concern and God becomes a distant second and third and fourth until finally he's out of the picture altogether we know this passage Matthew 25 it's the parable of the sheep and the goats and at the end of it there's this statement the people will answer Jesus Lord when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you you will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. For a church like Laodicea, standing between a city with people who are sick and a city with people who are fighting just to make enough to live off of. Jesus is saying to them, you saw me. I was all around you. I was all around you and you did nothing. You didn't come out to me. You didn't serve me. You didn't bring me anything. This passage ought to give us pause. How are we? How are we doing? Are our deeds lukewarm like Laodicea? Our deeds bending so that we move towards, towards Hierapolis and a city that was concerned with caring for those who were sick and infirm. Our deeds on the other side, are, are we moving towards those who are just fighting to find a way to survive and, and coming alongside them? Where are we? We should pause and sit and let this text sit with us because Jesus is saying how we treat those is how we are treating him. And if we're not making room in the body of Christ for those who are sick and those who are poor and those who are on the margins, if we're not spending ourselves on behalf of them, we're actually keeping Jesus outside of the church. There's grace. 
there is grace. Some of you may have wondered when I came in this morning if we had a guest minister today. I actually did have someone say that to me. I normally don't wear a suit. In fact, most of the times when I wear a suit, it's for one of two occasions. It's either for a funeral or a wedding. And for us to understand, and and part of the reason, honestly, I was dressed in something else this morning and I felt I need to actually wear a suit because both of those things are here. There is a funeral, and we've just talked about that, but there is also a wedding feast that comes out of this text. And both of them kind of hinge and move together because we are a people who live in that intersection between dying and rising Dying to our old way of life and, and rising to a new life. And, and, and we have sacraments that are going to help us understand that. We don't have a baptism, a particular one this morning, but we are always a baptismal people. One of the things we often say with our, our baptismal confession and, and as we teach about baptism is that these drops of water can't contain the whole life that we're called into. These little drops don't, repre- don't fill everything. It, it is so much more than that. But there is in that a dying to our old self and a rising to new, just as Christ died on our behalf and rose to new life. And we are united with him in that action of dying and rising. And just as Jesus spoke this hard word to them, he's offering them new life, new life that's ended up in himself, that's, that's rooted in his own death and his resurrection. And just as, as he's confronting Laodicea and saying, you've ignored all those around you who are dying and that shows that you are dying, he says this to them. It's out of Romans. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless when we were those people who were fighting just to survive or when we were those people who were at death's door and looking for any hope of of healing and, and new life, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What Jesus is calling Laodicea into and what he's calling us into is to know him by following him, by imitating what he did. And he's saying to us, just as as you were dying and you were my enemies and you were far away from me, I reached out to you and I died on your behalf. So I am calling you to lay down your life for those who are outside and who are struggling and who are hurting. Spend yourself on their behalf. There is grace for you in that act of giving to others just as I have given to you. Take what Christ has poured into us that we may turn around and pour it into others. So letting Jesus in by letting others in. John says it this way, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is an act of grace that God's giving us, not a heavy-handed way of saying, go out and do more works. He's saying, live into this new life I've called you into. I've poured my love into you so that you will be able to love those that you naturally don't want to love. So that you will be able to come alongside those who scare you 
so that you will be able to pour into people who seem to be far and distant from me. Love others the way God has loved us. In Scripture, there's a whole set of, of names and groups of people that are frequently identified as the ones we tend to stay away from and the ones Jesus calls us to embrace. Deuteronomy 10, just a, a few verses out of, after that Deuteronomy passage I read, he says, Look after the orphan and window and, and love the immigrant because I love them and you were an immigrant. Spend yourself on behalf of the poor. Rebuild streets with dwellings. That's out of Isaiah. The hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. Out of Matthew. And Galatians and Colossians call us to recognize the unity of God's people that breaks down Jew and Gentile, which is religious barriers, male and female, the gender barriers, slave and free, the economic barriers, and Scythian and barbarian, the national identities. All these barriers that we erect to keep people apart and away from us, God says, in Christ, those barriers are torn down and I'm drawing all people together and I want you to be part of that. If you stay isolated from others, especially those who are different from you, you miss out. Come in. Come into the feast that God is preparing. moment, we're going to enter that feast and it's a feast that's, that's mentioned here. There's three graces in the end of this Revelation passage to, to Laodicea and to us. Those whom I love. Even though Laodicea has kicked Jesus out of the church and left him standing out in the cold, Jesus is standing at the door saying, I still love you. I still want to be with you. And, and then you get that, here I am, it's a, a, word, a small work, word in the Greek that means behold, pay attention, look, I'm still here. Even though you pushed me away, I haven't rejected you. It's not too late. I want to be part of you. And then the assurance. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, the remarkable thing about the gospel and this wedding feast that Jesus is getting to here, the remarkable thing is that he comes to us as a guest. He comes to us as a guest, standing at the door saying, let me come in and eat with you. I want to be with you. I want to share a meal with you. Let me in. And as we let him in, we discover he's the host. He's the one who provides the meal for us. He's the one who provides us what we need to live, to truly live, to be caught up into relationship with God the Father, with God the Spirit, with God the Son, to be reconciled with one another and with all those whom God has created. We find ourselves at a banquet feast that, that Revelation starts to describe later on as, as people and tribe from every tribe and language and, and place under the heavens. Everybody on earth gets wrapped up into this good grace of God in Jesus Christ. No one's excluded because of health. No one's excluded because of their gender. No one's excluded because of their economics. No one's excluded because of their national identity. In Christ, we are brought together to this great banquet feast where the people of God sit with the king and the head of the church 
and we delight in God's goodness and God's faithfulness together. In a moment, we're going to taste it. We're going to taste it in the cup. We're going to taste it in the bread. And as we do, let's hear God's gracious invitation into this. To enter into the new life. To recognize the, the death and the brokenness of our actions and the way we divide ourselves and keep ourselves safe from others. And to hear in those things and to taste in those the new life of the fullness of God's people community that goes far beyond our imagination. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for sheltering ourselves from you. Forgive us for avoiding the pain and suffering of others. Forgive us for keeping you away even as we keep others away. Help us to have a wide and open embrace that makes room for those who are hurting and struggling, that allows others into our lives. And may we discover, as we allow others in, that you are there with them and that you are with us. May you make yourself known even in the least of these. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.